Welcome to The One Hour Intern. I'm your host, Will Brigger. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with leading Hollywood acting coach, Tony O'Dell. He started his career as the original Cobra Kai kid, appeared in 114 episodes of the 1980s show, Head of the Class, and now coaches some of Hollywood's top stars, like Zendaya. Tony, it's a pleasure to have the opportunity to intern and learn from you today. It's great to be here. It's nice to meet you. My first question for you comes with congratulations as well, because you are Zendaya's acting coach, and she just made history becoming the youngest Emmy winner for the best lead actress in a drama series for her role. How did you prepare her for such an incredible performance? I have to say, in terms of euphoria, we got together and we read through the beginning pilot and what was to be the first table read. We talked about it. But in terms of euphoria, euphoria has been pretty much, it's been all Zendaya and Sam, the director and creator. So in terms of how I've worked with her, it's been preparing her in the beginning of all these latest projects, screen test for Greatest Showman, preparing her for her first audition for Dune, the table read for Euphoria, Clearly all through Shake It Up and Casey Undercover, which were on Disney Channel, that was an everyday thing. Projects after that, it was always preparing for the screen test the first day. But it's been an incredible journey, and I'm so proud of her. During that preparation and preparing for the screen test, preparing for the table reads, preparing to be on camera, what do you tell her and what do you guys work on in a big picture sense that relates to all actors? In the way that it relates to all actors, in terms of, I think the thing is that's most important is being prepared. You know, when they come to me, they have an audition piece, and generally they're the sides or the copy from the project. Rarely will it be an audition scene that's not from the project itself. So she will come to me with two or three scenes that's actually from the project, and we sit there and we go through the breakdown, which is pretty much the description of the character. And we'll look at the description of the character and then we will see how that fits into the lines. Where in her lines can we bring those character traits into those lines and really try and get a great sense of who the character is and how she wants to play it. And she's such a smart young woman that she has her own ideas and she knows how she wants to do things. And that's one thing I like about working with her because I can say, you know, I really feel like you should give this moment more emotion. And sometimes she might say, you know what? No, everyone's going to do that. I want to have a different take on it. I want to show emotion, but I want to have a different take on it. But it's really about being prepared and talking about the character and talking about how she wants to present herself. And sometimes it even comes down to with a lot of the actors are like, well, what should I wear on the audition? How much should I lend to my look for the audition towards the character? And it's really about just being prepared and flushing it all out. So before you were Tony O'Dell, Hollywood extraordinaire acting coach, you were 17, my age. The year was 1977. Star Wars was in theaters. Ellis Presley had just passed away, and the price of gas was 62 cents per gallon. What was life like for you? Well, for me, first of all, I wasn't Tony O'Dell. I was legally Anthony Dell'Aquila, or as we say in Italian, Dell'Aquila. I grew up in Altadena, which is just above Pasadena, California. 
And I was 17, a senior at St. Francis High School in La Cunata, which is not far from Pasadena. And at 16, I decided I wanted to become an actor. I told my mom, I said, look, I've been doing plays and being a ham on stage all through grade school and high school, but it was merely just for fun. But then I realized at some point that some of those people are making money. And I decided that that's what I wanted to do. So at 17, I pretty much had told my parents that I wanted to become an actor. And I asked if I could put myself through a summer seminar at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts that was in Pasadena at the time. And they said, hey, if you pay for it and put yourself through it, go for it. So I was a senior in high school and I sent out four pictures and four resumes. Mary Grady Agency called me in. She signed me. And within three months, she put me up for a movie, had four lines, got my SAG card on that movie. And that was literally in the middle of my senior year. Wow. So it was a big year for me. How did you know that it was time to take that step to sign up with a producer and get paid for your work? It was actually a friend of mine who took me to see a play at a theater in Pasadena when I was 16 years old. And the play was Annie Get Your Gun. And I remember I was looking at the play and I was just having so much fun watching it. And then I just started thinking about the actors who were doing the play. And I was just like, wait a minute, I've been doing this all my life. St. Francis was such a intense college preparatory type high school. I really felt the stress of knowing what you want to do for the rest of your life. And I really didn't know. I knew I liked helping people. I knew I liked medicine. I liked working in special education. But somehow, none of it really, I just still was unsure until I went to go see the play. And I was like, no, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I want to make money doing. And the rest of it was just kind of a fluke, hearing about Mary Grady, looking her name up on a list of agents, and sending her a picture and resume. And I got lucky, one out of four submissions, and she called me in. And at the time, she was one of the biggest children's agents in all of Hollywood. She had Aaron Moran on Happy Days and Todd Bridges on Different Strokes and someone on Little House on the Prairie. I mean, it just, she had a kid pretty much in every single show on television. You mentioned luck and being able to work with her. What is your opinion on luck in actual life and how does one best take advantage or make sure that luck goes in their way? Great question. And I always think that there is a certain amount of luck, call it alignment of stars, call it what you want. I feel the best thing to do to set yourself up. So when that luck, when that moment does, when that time arrives, it's to be prepared. So I tell all of my students who I work with, I say, we don't know when things are going to click and go your way till now all of a sudden you're just going in on auditions and you're booking I mean, like Zendaya, I mean, it's been a 10-year process. Some people don't achieve her success in their entire career. But it's just like every single step she's made. But there, to me, has been a complete, you have to be struck with a lightning bolt of luck to be in the right place, in the right time, but to be the complete package, which she is. And I think what you have to be on top of that is to be prepared. Because when you do get called in for that audition, 
finally, that you've done all of the work prior to that. You know how to break down a script. You know how to create a character. You know how to do those things. So when that moment happens, you're ready. Yeah, that's definitely. And many times in my career, I was not ready. I remember I auditioned for a film called Endless Love. It was directed by a huge, famous director, Franco Zeffirelli. And I had an audition for him. And I went in and he said to me, do you have a monologue? And I said, oh, no, I'm sorry. I don't have, um, I don't have a monologue prepared. And he just looked at me and he just said, always have a monologue. I never made that mistake again. When being turned down by him in that moment, what was your reaction and how did you bounce back from that? I think you just politely rise above it with egg on your face. And you just say, absolutely. And the interview may carry on. In the back of your head, you are knowing that you're probably not going to go any further. But you know, when you walk out of the room, you have a conversation with yourself, as I've had with myself many times. And you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and carry on. I mean, that is so much of this business. I mean, clearly you've heard from many people about the industry and the amount of rejection that is in the business. If I had listened to so many things that people said in the beginning, I wouldn't be where I am. I mean, I remember going to the American Academy at 16 or 17, and the teacher sent back a report card that said that I should literally consider a different vocation. And I just went, okay, that's his opinion. And I carried on. Now, Franco Zeffirelli was right. I should have been more prepared. So in moments like that, you can't beat yourself up. You just have to go, okay, you know what? He was right. I should have been more prepared. And that's what it's all about, is preparation. With regards to your teacher telling you that you should take a different profession, I feel like most people are not able to say that's his opinion. How do you get to that mental clarity, that level of mental clarity where you can just brush it off so easily? You know, it's funny because I don't necessarily know if it was mental clarity. It could have just been a completely naive kid, which I was at 16, and just went, oh, okay. And I just carried on. So maybe I was lucky in the respect that I just didn't let it phase me. I didn't, I think as my career continued, and there were some roles that really mattered, some things that I would have liked to have gotten, where Sometimes pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is a little bit harder to do. That is the hardest part, I think, in the business is to constantly be able to take that rejection and abuse. And I do tell my clients, if you go in there and you give a great audition and you don't get it, and they say, hey, they gave a great audition, you can't beat yourself up over that because you can't possibly expect to be physically the right type for everything you go on. But if what you hear is, they nailed that audition. They were incredible. So I always tell my clients, don't worry about booking the role. I tell them, book the room. It's true. Don't worry about booking the job. That puts too much on you. Just go in there and book the room and give the best audition you can because then they're going to remember you for countless jobs down the road. So yeah. I think that kind of takes the heat off of you, but it's not easy. And as time continues, it gets harder and harder to pull up your bootstrap. So you have to really just. Yeah, really good at letting things just roll off your shoulder. I have a saying that I always say, it's not what you go through, it's how you go through it. Yeah, that's a great line. 
I do want to talk about the other times that you had to pull your bootstraps back up, but I want to go back to your childhood before you were 17. What was life like at home and what were the values that your parents were giving you to you so that you could be this person that you are today, having that enlightened mindset? I was raised in a very Italian Catholic upbringing. My parents were loving, but they were very strict. We went to private schools. As I had mentioned before, my high school was St. Francis High School. It was an all-boy Catholic college preparatory type high school. So there was always a little bit of pressure. I think the things that stuck with me the most that my parents instilled in us were to always leave the house looking polished be clean, be polite, I think was probably the biggest one, respect others and be polite. I can do something for someone. I remember a year or two ago, I was walking in a parking lot and saw a woman walking in the rain and I pulled out my umbrella and walked her car and she said, no, wow, what an incredible thing. I just said, hey, it's my parents. So that's who they taught us to be. And I think that's a a great quality for everyone. World would be a better place. How did they ensure that you had those qualities? A couple swats every now and then. (laughs) You know, they didn't have to work at it too hard. It was just something that we knew from early on. It was like, this is how you are towards people. This is how you treat people and this is how you behave. And if my father and my mom saw us being anything other than that, it was just this look. Yeah. It was a look. And the stare didn't leave. Until you find they saw that you got it and you were just like, oh, okay. You know, we knew. We knew from early on. They taught us the difference between right and wrong. Sometimes I pushed it a bit. I might have been a little bit of the rebel in the family. It's pretty surprising to to most of the family that I was like, oh, I'm going to become an actor. You know, no one in our family is an actor. We don't know anybody in the business. What are you talking about? How did they react to that, to you saying that you wanted to be an actor? But first, my mom said to me, no, you don't know anyone in the business. It's a very difficult business. You don't know how to go about this. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just go to the theater down in Pasadena and I'll get involved in theater and I'll learn how to do it. And then I was at the theater and there was the father of one of the girls there who replaced Andrea McArdle in the original Annie on Broadway. And I went up to him and said, hey, do you have a list of Hollywood agents? I just kind of somehow, I don't know. I was this kid who just asked questions and knew what to do and things just fell into place. Thank goodness. Yeah. And you had mentioned that in high school, you were acting in all these plays because even you were at the local theater a lot. What was it like being in these plays? Were there any productions that stood out and were really important to you? I don't know if there were any plays in the productions themselves because I did Annie Get Your Gun and Life with Father and Believe it or not, they had me play Prince Chula Longcorn in The King and I, where they had me play his son, definitely based on my ethnicity. That's not something that they could. I mean, they actually did things to kind of change my look. And that's definitely not something that you can get away with nowadays, nor should you. But I just think it was the overall experience of being at that theater and and being on stage and learning how to build my confidence. and. There's nothing like stage, nothing like theater, but it was all just a great experience when one leads to another. 
And how did you build your confidence? I mean, self-confidence is a very big topic for high schoolers and it's something really hard to have and maintain. How did you build it? I don't know if I had any set conscious decision as to how I built my confidence. I knew I had to have it. Maybe it was being knocked down. Plenty of auditions that I didn't get or jobs I didn't get. You are either one of those people where it lives in you and it eats you up or you just go, no, I can do this. I got this. And I just think confidence comes over time. Clearly, the more I booked, I was getting hired, just as the more interviews you do. It comes naturally. And you start to find in this place where then, okay, you're confident and you're riding that wave. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's a pretty good segue into the segment I like to call the coffee break. which is an opportunity for us to take a break from seriousness and for you to tell a story that makes you laugh or makes you embarrassed. Does anything in particular come to mind? Oh, there are so many. This is a good one. It was 1981 and I was rushing home because I had to take my dad somewhere. And I was in a complete rush and I had to get gas and it was literally right up the street from where our house was. And I wasn't living at the house, but I was running home to pick up my dad. And I had to get gas and I pulled in the gas station and I put the gas hose in my car and put like, you know, a full tank, which I don't know, was five bucks of gas at the time and left the gas station with the gas hose still in my car. So if you can imagine... Here's my car literally going out into the street, which is 25, 30 feet from the actual gas tank where I was filling my car. Sometimes you see people struggling with the gas hoses to get them around the other side of their car if they, you know, maybe didn't pull to the right side of the gas island. It's not true. Those things don't just stretch like 10 or 15 feet. They literally can stretch like 25 because I look back and I just hear this huge this huge noise. And I look back and the gas station tank was tilted like this. And there was just tons of gasoline pouring out of it. And of course, granted, they had to go and turn off. I guess they have some kind of safety valve somewhere. And the gas station attendant was just standing there. He knew me as I grew up down the street. So he was just standing there, clapping his hand. And I kind of just, you know, put my head down and we took the hose out and I went back and got my dad and I told him what happened. And, and he came back with me to the gas station and they looked at my dad and they said, you know what, we have insurance, don't worry about it. Huh. That was definitely probably one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done. I'm sure another will come to me, but that's definitely at the top of the list. Wow. I didn't know it stretched that far. That's my big takeaway. Yeah. And, and I have to be honest, there are times where I have almost repeated that. You know, you get so caught up in your day sometimes and it's like, oh, I got to get gas. Of course, now I don't do that because I have an electric car. So I charge at home. But yeah, you get so caught up in your day and you, you put the gas in your car and I just literally got in the car and, and rushed. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So now let's jump back into your professional experience. Your first big role is on The Karate Kid. 
how did it feel when they sent you that letter saying you have a part? You know, it's interesting. It was actually a phone call. And when I went in for Karate Kid for one of the Cobra Kai's, I went into audition for John Avildsen, the director, just finished directing Rocky. It was a big, big deal. And I finished the audition with the casting director, Caro Jones. And John Avildsen looked at me and said, you know, I was only going to have four Cobra Kai's in the film. And I have the four already, but I like you. And I want to make you the fifth. And he said, you're not going to say a lot. You're going to have a couple of lines, but you're going to be there the whole time. And you're going to get paid the same. And the success for you is going to be the same. And I remember calling my agent and kind of going it over with her. Granted, it was a pay phone. I remember calling her from a pay phone and I was like, I think I'm getting this. And she said, they're already calling the office. They want to hire you as the fifth Cobra Kai. And I remember going over and thinking, should I really do this? It's going to pay good, but I'm only going to have two lines. It's not really not that big of a part. And at that time, I had already guest starred in other huge shows, you know, um, Eight is Enough and Dynasty. And those had been big guest starring roles. And I felt like, well, this kind of feels like I'm a glorified extra with a couple of lines. But she said, you know what? You never know where that's going to lead. And one thing does lead to the next, because then when I went in to audition for head of the class, it was like, oh, wow, you're one of the Cobra Kais. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. You know, so they're, they're all stepping stones. You never know where something's going to lead. So I try and tell people, especially my young students, I tell them sometimes take that opportunity because you never know what it's going to lead to. Same thing happened with me with coaching. I got offered the yeah. opportunity to come coach on a show. It wasn't necessarily what I'd been doing. I really was kind of like more into sticking with the acting, but I decided to take it. And 20 years later, that's turned out to be something great. Yeah. So you had mentioned that you were guest star on a bunch of other big shows. What were your learning experiences from those roles? They were definitely confidence builders to go and audition for the lead guest role in in Airwolf or Simon and Simon. Murder, She Wrote, which was a huge, huge show. So they were definitely confidence builders, especially when there comes a point where you don't have to audition, where they literally just call up your agent and say, hey, we want to hire him. This is the rate. If he's free, he starts next week. Those are all confidence boosters. They make you feel good. But, you know, they come with a big responsibility because it's like the guest starring role of the episode. So... Again, you have to really have that confidence chat with yourself. You do whatever you need to do to stay relaxed and stay free in the moment and enjoy the moment and do the best you can. Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, your real big takeoff show was Head of the Class, where they accepted you because of your audition, but also because of your work as a Cobra Kai. Can you talk about that experience? Yeah. When I originally went in for Head of the Class, my first audition didn't go well. I think I was just having an off day. I don't know, something was wrong or who knows, maybe the audition came kind of late and I didn't have a lot of time to prepare. And I remember I went in, it didn't go very well. Three weeks later, my agent calls me up and says, hey, you've got a callback for head of the class. I said, what are you talking about? They already brought guys to the network yesterday. There are three choices that they were going to possibly choose from. She said, they didn't like any of them. You're going back. So I made that decision in that moment that I was going to go back and I said, now this time you were going to go in and you are going to, it's almost like you have to have having a double personality with yourself because you know, you have to have 
I found myself throughout my career having a lot of conversations with myself. And it's just like, you're going to go in this time and you're going to, you're going to kill this audition. And I went in and I did. And they were like, wow, where have you been? And I said, well, I was here three weeks ago, but I don't think you guys remembered. And they kind of laughed about it. And they said, well, you're going to be at the network tomorrow. And I went to the network the next day. And it was me, two other guys, Lance Sloan and a guy named Matthew Perry from Friends. The director pulled me aside before I went in for the audition, which, by the way, was at ABC. And it was in front of about 25 people. The director pulled me aside in the private room and he said, I just want to let you know that this is yours to lose. If you go in and you do what you did yesterday, it's yours. So again, you have another conversation with yourself. It's like, okay, I have to recover from that moment. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot. It's a lot. And now that you mentioned it, sometimes I don't even know how I even dealt with it. Maybe it's because you have dealt with so many high pressure moments that it just becomes something that you learn to deal with. You know, nerves are something that you learn to like, almost like make your best friend. I'm like, yeah, I see you. I know you're there. You're always going to be there. But you learn how to breathe through them. You learn how to use those nerves for good energy, for keep you alive in the audition. And I went in. Remember, I walked in and I was like, wow, there are a lot of you. And they just somehow cracked up. Making them laugh made me kind of relax. And the next thing I know, I called my agent from a payphone from the Hard Rock Cafe. And she put me through like 10 minutes of a conversation asking me how I thought it went. And then at the end of the 10 minutes, she goes, oh, no, you definitely got it because they just called me. So (laughs) she put me through this whole moment of hearing me like go through this whole thing. And, you know, at the time, Matthew Perry was a working actor, done tons of pilots, but he hadn't done Friends or anything like that. But I was like, well, see, I'm kind of this type, but Matthew Perry's kind of this type. Lance is kind of this type. So I think I'm a good, got a good chance. And she did that on purpose. Yeah, that's how that happened. Wow. And while actually acting on the show, what were your big takeaways from being a star? It's awesome how when you're in that position, how you can make a difference in people's lives. Being involved in charities or causes that are important to you. And being able to use your notoriety to do those things, I think that has to be the bigger picture. And I try and teach that to my students. It's not about the fame. It's not about the stardom. Those are all great. And I have so many clients that come to me and I'm like, oh, I want to be this person. I want to be the next Zendaya. Why? And they're like, oh, because it'd be fun to be on TV and make a lot of money and be a star. And it has to be a bigger picture than that. It has to be bigger than that. It has to be because you'd like to use that to, to make a difference in the world, to do something like that. The part of it that I wasn't crazy about was, yeah, sometimes it's great if you want to walk into a restaurant and happen to get uh, a table much faster than maybe someone else, which isn't always necessarily fair. But I never liked walking into a restaurant and having a certain amount of people turn and look at me and look and stare and point and then like sit there and whisper about you. And then you hear about it the next day where some random person, oh, you were at this place or whatever. And then, I don't know, I just kind of, kind of liked my anonymity a little bit more in that respect. Kind of wanted to be just like everybody else. Yeah. 
overall in your entire acting career, do you have any favorite set experiences? There are so many. I remember I was guest starring on a series that was called Strike Force. I was probably 22 years old, standing on a dock. I mean, these are just little moments of flashes in my brain that standing on the dock, getting ready to do a serious scene where I pull out a gun on this guy who had assaulted the character who had assaulted my girlfriend in the, sh- in the script. And just the morning and being on the dock and, and doing something that I had dreamed of doing. And here I was getting ready to have this huge moment. And I remember being just so taken with the moment or being on head of the class and being behind the scenes with the rest of the cast members and having days where we're just like hiding in each other's dressing rooms and fooling around or like literally the 10 of us, the whole entire cast going to lunch for a one hour break and you walk into a restaurant and and that's just all sharing that time together. I mean, we're all still incredibly close. I'd say that probably the most recent was when I did the episode of Cobra Kai and sitting there with Ron, Billy, and Rob, and it had been 36 years, 37 years later. We've all remained friends through all of this time. But now for us to be sitting together back in our character, so to speak, it was just so surreal. Because we looked at each other and was like, wow, we feel like we've just done this, but we look a little older, you know? So that was a, a pretty surreal and special moment for us to be sitting in those chairs with those characters 36 years later. Not many people can say that they did a project and they're still living that project 36 years later. We're still writing that success of of that movie. Pretty incredible. I mean, what if you never took that position, that conversation, you never had that conversation, use it as a stepping stone. That's a great point. And that's exactly my point. You just never know where things are going to lead. You just don't. And I'm so glad that when I got the call from Frank Pace to come coach on his show. He had faith in me as a coach. He was one of the producers of Head of the Class, but he knew I'd been coaching at home as well. And then Frank was executive producer of Shake It Up. So he brought me along on on that show. And then that led to me starting a relationship with Zendaya. So it's just amazing how things have just made this natural progression. Oh, and one thing might be a saying that some of us older folk have, but maybe some of the younger people don't know about, is we always say a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. And it's yeah. true. You know, you can, there can be two birds over there in that bush, but it's the one in the hand that matters. So whenever the opportunity came along, I tried to go with the opportunity that was a solid offer, not something that was, well, that could have happened or this might happen. Maybe I shouldn't take this because this could happen. I never kind of went with what could. I just went with what is the universe giving me right now? Why Mm -hmm. am I being presented this offer? You got to go with it. Yeah. As long as you're not compromising who you are. Yeah, definitely. So along those lines, as you said, your next big step was becoming an acting coach, leading all the way now. You have your Disney contract coaching all of their young stars. 
What have your takeaways as a coach and as a teacher been? I love to do it. I like to give back. It's so awesome when I can take the things that I've learned in my 43 years of doing this and give it back to my clients, whether they're my private clients at home or the kids on the shows. And it's not necessarily a contract with Disney, but whatever shows they say, hey, we'd like for you to coach on, then that's where I go. But you know, it's awesome when you can pass those tips along and then see it make a difference. So you're always grateful for the ones that actually listen and then apply what you've told them. It really mm -hmm. makes you proud, especially moments like Zendaya, knowing that yeah, you had a part in some of their success. And if not that, just their confidence, just in knowing that they had someone behind them who believed in them, you know, sent them out the door and said, hey, you've got this. And that's what I always tell my clients when they leave. I'm like, you got this. You know what you're doing now. You're prepared. Own it. Own it for yourself. Yeah. Take that moment and own it. So that's what I love about what I do now. For people who are interested in acting and are not lucky enough to have you as their coach, what hard skills or other advice would you give to them so that they can have that preparation that you mentioned beforehand? I would say just to do it, to act. Get involved in a local play. Get involved in your grammar school play, your high school play. If you are somewhere and there's a local theater that does stage plays, get involved with the local theater. If they don't let you audition, ask them if you can help being a stagehand. Get to know the theater. Get to know the ropes. Eventually, they're going to be like, hey, you're great. You're fun to have around. You show up on time. Another big one. Why don't you audition for this role? We'll let you try out for two lines. All of those things, like I said, one thing leads to another. But I would say then just to do it. There are so many actors I know now that are in this town. And some of them are like, oh, well, you know, we have an agent, but they haven't sent me out. I'm like, well, what are you doing other than sitting and waiting for them to call you? Are you involved yeah. in theater? Are you taking class? Are you doing a play? If you want to act or you say you want to be an actor and you want to act, then act. So just do it at every chance you get. And then eventually you're going to be in the right place at the right time. Someone who's there at that theater is going to be, oh, hey, you know, they're doing this project over here and you're in the mix. And so things just naturally are going to happen. Yeah, of course. So zooming out on your whole life, if you could pick any failure moments that you haven't talked about, what would those moments be and how did you overcome them and keep that mentality that you mentioned before? Just brush it off and move on to the next one. Hmm. That's a tough one. Maybe there were a couple failure moments in the respect that maybe I hadn't been prepared for an audition. Maybe I went in that day, maybe my nerves did get the best of me. Especially when you're sometimes put in for some pretty big projects. You just have to move on. We're all going to have failures, and I don't care what you're referring to. Some job at a store down the street or what I'm doing, we're all the same. We're all going to have failures, and I just remember having those days where I go in, and especially in my respect, it's like, 
oh, you went in and your nerves got the best of you. And your agent calls you up and says, well, it's not going to be this one. You didn't have your best day. And you have about a day or two of, oh, woe was me. And you hold a little bit of a pity party. And you pick up and you move on. Because, I mean, seriously, what's the alternative? You let it completely affect you and destroy you. And, you know, it eats you up inside. And then you might as well just quit. And that's definitely not who I am. I've never really been a quitter. I've been definitely more of the kind of guy who just goes, okay, you didn't have your best day. You can live in that for a little while and feel sorry for yourself. And then I was like, okay, moving on. And then another job comes along and it was super easy and it was super fun and you nailed the audition and you got it. It's like, okay, I forgot Mm -hmm. about it. What about for the people who want to not be quitters, but have a little bit of a quitter mindset? Because, you know, I feel like everyone has a little bit of that easy way out mentality. What do you say to them? I'd say that I definitely had help along the way. When there were times where I felt like things were super rough or I was having a tough time, I actually went and talked to somebody. I talked to a friend who was a therapist and really tried to learn how to deal with those moments and kind of get some some skills and some better tools as to how to handle those moments. I think that helped immensely. I personally actually think that psychotherapy should be a part of everyone's experience in high school. As a freshman, they should have counselors right off the bat. I just think sometimes it's not easy to be you know, going into high school and you have all these things going on and all these different groups going on and all this, especially nowadays with social media and all kinds of peer pressures and, and, and things. I just don't think it's easy. And I think it's always amazing to be able to ask for help. But I always just say, don't quit. Just put one foot in front of the other. That's all you can do. Just care about yourself enough Love yourself enough that you're going to make an agreement. Oh, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I want to quit. Now, it's a little different if someone comes to me and they're in their 30s or their 40s and they say, hey, I want to become an actor. It's hard for me because on one hand, there's a part of me that wants to say, you know, 30 or 40 years old, if you haven't been acting at all and haven't gone to theater and haven't learned what this is, it's kind of late in the game. But other than that, it's truly what you want to do, I say, don't quit. Yeah. So as our time does come to a close, I want to ask you some even more big picture questions. As you've reached a pinnacle of success in the acting world and as an acting coach, how do you define success now? I think success is being content with your achievements And I don't think success is necessarily about the home I'm in, the money I've made. It's it's a part of it. But to me, the success is being able to, especially in this world, to be able to get up in the day and and be proud of, of who you are, of what you've accomplished, to be content and to be happy. I mean, that to me is success in itself. And I think success is subjective because I could be the president 
of a network right now making $10 million a year. And I could consider myself successful. Granted, maybe that person's not happy. And I've always said I could also be a Buddhist monk in Tibet. And that person has reached some level of success through inner peace. So to me, honestly, success is just being about being happy where you are, being happy with yourself. That to me is success. Being able to put your head on the pillow at night and sleep well, that's success. Not something a lot of people can do. A lot of people can't put their head on the pillow and have a good night's sleep and be happy with who they are and what they've done. Yeah. So thinking about that definition of success, if someone was to listen to our conversation, what three takeaways should they have to reach that definition of success, but also the pinnacle of success that you have set yourself? Wow. First off, and it is cliche, but be good to others. Treat others as you want to be treated. And going back to the values that my parents instilled in me, you know, try and see what good you can do for others. Be respectful. I think one of the key things that stands out is preparation. Be prepared for your moment. Do everything and anything you can to to learn, to educate yourself, to evolve so that you can be prepared. So when that moment does come and there is that moment in life where you're going to get that opportunity, that audition, whatever it is, you're ready for it. So don't sit around and just wait for it to come to you. Be prepared so that when it does come to you, you're ready. That might only be two, but that's what sticks sticks in my mind. Yeah. Tony, thank you for the time. Thank you, Will. Hi, I'm your host, Will Brigger. Check out other art-related episodes with Mark Glimser, owner of renowned Pace Art Gallery and Fine Arts Collective, Friends With You. Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Make sure to follow on Instagram as well at one hour intern. That's the number one, not the word. And share this episode with your friends.